Hello, I'm Agent Harry. Hello, I'm Agent Rory, and you're listening to Games vs. Film. put on a more masculine voice so <laughs> i felt it sounded more masculine than mine so i guess by default i am lucy lou in this scenario and i means, am antonio banderas yeah which means i'm perpetually visualizing you as a cat in boots and i don't get to speak for the first 28 minutes of the podcast because <laughs> looking i was like when, when does lucy lou actually going to speak in this film anyway this is as rory said games versus film it's the podcast that celebrates video game movies and today we have a movie that i'm not sure counts well we have done uh episodes before where we've talked about games based on films such as spider-man 2 alien yeah we've done alien star wars franchise the simpsons uh, so, but this is a bit of a unique case in that the game and the film in this instance are fairly intertwined and it's one of the perhaps only instances where the game of the film came out almost a full year before the film was actually released. Indeed, before the film even entered production. And the name of the film <laughs> Ballistic X versus Sever. Indeed. Yeah, so I did wonder, when we decided to do this film, I remember being very kind of obsessed with this film and the games, despite not seeing or playing any of it. You know, it was, it passes sort of also mythic status. We're like, why is this game coming out so soon? The film's like ages away. But also the title lives on in the memory even as recently as the release of Godzilla vs Kong uh earlier this year i was seeing people making joke tweets saying Godzilla vs Kong vs X vs 7 <laughs> like this is a film you know almost 20 years old the game is 20 years old or approaching and yet for some reason this kind of film which failed at the box office is considered a bit of a black mark on the lead's CVs. And somehow, I think because the title is so strange, but oddly memorable, that it's lingered long in people's minds, at least people who are into into films. And I think it's one of those instances where it's a film where it has the confidence of a title saying, it's X versus Sever, you know, X. Sever. Those guys, finally together at last. But it just reminds me of movies where the name of the film is the name of the main character, but it's not based on anyone real. It's like the Billy Elliot thing or Vera Drake or something. And it's not Billy Elliot versus Vera Drake. Um, <laughs> but it's it's the same thing. It's just like, oh, finally, X and Sever, they're at it. I say recent years, but like maybe in the last 10 years where you get things like John Carter 
of Mars and things, and they just call it just John Carter. And like the fans like hate it because it sounds like a generic guy, and people don't see it because it sounds like a generic guy. But at the same time, something like John Wick, I remember when I first saw that title and thought, well, why would I want to see a film called John Wick? I don't even know the guy. Yep, true. I didn't bother. But now it, <laughs> but now it is shorthand for a certain kind of film in which Keanu Reeves does horrible things to people. Well, yesterday is when I watched uh, Ballistic X vs. Sever, and then later that day I went to see Nobody which has just come out, and I think that's got some John Wick DNA is in it, hasn't it? Yeah, it's from the same and writer. A little bit of a whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such an unwieldy title, though. The, I mean, I, it, why, I have no idea why they decided to add ballistic to it. I think it's probably for the aforementioned audience confusion that we're talking about. If it was just called X versus Sever, people wouldn't go and see it. But if they call it ballistic... X versus Ever, people still didn't go and see it. <laughs> but... Well, we'll we'll get into the details when we talk about the origins of mm. the film and its its rather long route to the screen, and it perhaps explains why the game version of it came out so far uh, from the release of of the film itself. And you know, there are instances such as Goldeneye where the game of that came out a full two years after the release of the film and actually sort of came out more around the time of Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but it's it's very unusual for a game to come out way before the film has even sort of started uh, shooting. But I, but I think the other key thing to explain why it's, it's lingered long in people's minds is that it has become something of a notorious film. And... Everyone, I think, knew at the time, oh, this is something in the kind of bad movie territory. It's a box office bomb. It got nominated for, I think, a Stinker Award, etc. But uh, by quirk of it having received the most amount of reviews in the Rotten Tomatoes uh, worst movies of all time list, and all of those reviews are considered negative by Rotten Tomatoes, it holds the title, I think still currently, of the worst reviewed film of all time. And we're talking a, a list of like 100 worst movies, and I kind of saw the top, and I think it was In the Name of the King or Blood Rain, one of the Uwe Boll movies, <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, you know, that's the worst movie of all time. But then, no, you scroll down all the titles... And X versus Ever, Ballistic X versus Ever, to give it its full title, is right there at the bottom by virtue of it having, I think because it was a wider release and therefore it yeah. was screened to critics, it has, you know, 118 or so reviews, all of them negative. So while there are quite a few films which have a 0% score on Rotten Tomatoes, this has 0% across a very large board. It's like what happened to Paddington. <laughs> or Paddington 2 where it was like number one film and then somebody gives it a sneaky bad review and then it drops down a level but yeah I, I'm glad you kind of explained that to me because it sort of boils my piss when I see a film like this which you cast on the table it's not great it's not great it's pretty pretty damn inept but you know I've seen the film Llamageddon which <laughs> is was it's a horror film made by people who obviously owned a llama and sort of Adobe After Effects. And like 
pretty much an hour of this like 70 80 minute movie it's just the mates sitting in their house having a bit of a house party and like occasional cuts to a llama walking around in the dark that is not a good movie that is definitely i can say categorically leagues worse than <laughs> x versus sever Bad filmmakers, maybe, but shrewd and canny business people to make you have seen a film because well, of the title. <laughs> you've reminded me, actually. I went into the trivia for Armageddon, and it was originally put online to rent for $1 million. The, <laughs> the logic being that it just requires one weird millionaire to get them rich. But by the time I got around to seeing it, it was like uh, not that much to rent. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's for free on Amazon Prime right now. But you've got to admire the gumption. <laughs> yeah. Big gumption. Gumption Pictures presents Larmageddon. <laughs> well, this, uh, I saw the title came up. The film company which makes this is Franchise Pictures. And you think, oh, bless. <laughs> the <laughs> so X vs. Sever of... franchise died in the vine. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bare-naked name for a company. So it seems while the film just never got any sort of sequels there are two x versus sever games aren't there yes so the initial game was developed by crawfish interactive which was a developer based in croydon who specialized in game boy color and game boy advanced games i think i remember playing their version of buster move 4 maybe and um what happened was was this developer obtained the license to create a game version of X versus Sever based on an early version of the script. The film itself hadn't entered production at the time, but because their publisher, BAM Entertainment, and the aforementioned franchise pictures had apparently had like a close relationship, I think on the back of the instruction booklet, I have an advert for uh, Driven, the Sylvester Stallone race car movie, which was also a franchise pictures production of which BAM oh. Entertainment did the Game Boy Advance version of that. Um, but because of that, they had early access to the script and they decided to obviously make a, a tie-in video game based on it. Um, but because the development of the film was held up, even though the game took about 10 months to complete, they were so kind of confident and proud and happy with the finished product, they thought, well, we might as well just release it anyway. Um, and it did mean that they did release a sequel, which in Europe was entitled X versus Sever 2 Ballistic, whereas in the States it was known as Ballistic X versus Sever, even though both X versus Sever games came out in both territories. Um, and that sequel does follow more the characters and plot of the actual finished theatrical version of the movie. But um, I managed to pick up a copy of the original Game Boy Advance game, the first version of mm -hmm. X versus Sever, and I've uh, I only got it today, so I've only been playing about half an hour of it, but. What I remember, and I think what you said about the time, like how this slightly captured our imaginations was because uh, this was one of the first uh, first person shooters to be released on Game Boy Advance. I think yeah. by this point, there had been a port of Doom. 
Yes, I had. I think I had Doom 2. I had Doom 2 on the Game Boy Advance, and I think the Game Boy Advance has celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, in the last couple of weeks. And um, now I can play like Doom Eternal on my handheld Switch. So things have come a long way, but definitely <laughs> at the time, it was like an amazing thrill to play a pretty good first-person shoot-em-up on your Game Boy Advance. Is it pretty good? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I realised, though, that the Game Boy Advance that I have is an original model, so there is no backlight. And oh, oh it, it, it's, it's been a very gloomy day. <laughs> oh, back in my day, we had no backlight. It's, we, had yeah. no front, we had, like, what was it? The Maglook, this was like the classic Game Boy with, like, the Maglook. What did it look like? It looked like that those um, BMW motorbikes with the little window like roll cage thing over it it looks more like a sort of overhead projector mm. but you just stuck it on your game boy um but yeah i i don't i've no such joy and it's been a very rainy day um so it's been quite hard to play <laughs> but uh from what i've played it it's i'm still quite impressed by it 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 is simple as far as first person shooters go i mean you're thinking doom wolfenstein that kind of mode but the the character models are quite good the animation is 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 fairly well rendered the game does sort of start off in a warehouse which is like i don't know first person shooter 101 so crates barrels the lot yeah, action movie 101 as well though <laughs> i think this film has a massive warehouse battle and I, that film um nobody i mentioned had one as well so it just it's cheap you know, locations to shoot cheap I, location. I mean i used to work in a factory and whenever I would walk through the warehouse on like one of the like walkways, if there was nobody about, I'd always have like an air machine gun. I'd go like, duh, duh, and pretend I was shooting people and they'd fall into boxes. <laughs> but the, the game itself has some, I think still some interesting ideas and, and quirks. So you can play it as either X or Sever, although X in this uh, game is known as Jonathan, as opposed to Jeremiah X. And he's an FBI <laughs> agent, while Sever is a rogue NSA agent. Though I think they're both like she's DIA or whatever in in the the film. Um, and so there's sort of recognizable names of characters. Um, in one mission, I was playing, so you can play as either character. They replay the same stages, but from their perspective, so it's slightly you know different routes, etc. But I was playing a, game, uh, a level as X and you had to chase Sever through the streets. And so you're in hot pursuits and she's running in front of you and you have to sh shoot lots of the same looking baddie at the, you know, as you're doing so. But I don't know, it just it added a few little tweets. There's a sniper rifle I picked up, which I could use zoom, um, uh, scope, etc. Do you so, think you'll keep yeah. playing um, after I this review? Yeah, I, I think I'll at least sort of, you know, the levels are quite short and it's it's getting a bit harder at the start. It's quite easy. So there's a well, bit of a challenge. So <laughs> <laughs> actually, modern day games, they sort of give you more and more powerful weapons as they go on, don't they? It's been, yeah. There's been a weird shift in, in, in games of late. God, uh, I'm sounding like an old man. <laughs> I just, this, this two, what film year has come out? 2002? The film 2002, game 2001. Yeah, I just, you know, I wouldn't say I'm nostalgic for that period, but it's just made me, just made me think about where I was in life back then. 
Simpler times. Simpler times. I think I've just become conscious of... I mean, I went to university to study film, I think, between 2002 and five, And lots of shitty films came out of that period. <laughs> I'm like, maybe the reason I'm not a film director right now is because all I had to go to the cinema was like uh, ex- The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and bollocks like this. I mean, I've said before, I went to see House of the Dead uh, when it came out at cinemas while I was at university, and I just think, yep, <laughs> this is what I'm learning from the experts. So I think the game definitely, you know, you have to recognize obviously it's a product of its time, but it's still playable now. And I think it was well received at the time. Uh, in comparison, obviously, to the to the eventual film, it was very well received you know there's a on the box it's got a 90 percent score from nintendo official magazine it was very well uh, reviewed in ign the sequel as well was considered quite a bit better just in terms of improvement though it became it came out slightly later in the game boy advances uh, life cycle so it wasn't as groundbreaking at the time but um you know it even has like multiplayer where you could link up four game boy advances as long as everyone all had a copy of the game and and played deathmatch levels against each other so yeah it's a it's it's still a, a bit of a, a nifty game maybe a very small footnote in the grand scheme of game boy games but um you know i think a a a, a decent one i would say i think it just lives memories doesn't it so it has that did do something right and we didn't even play the flipping thing <laughs> yeah it's taken me 20 years but i, I finally <laughs> finally got a copy of it to call my own um but it's, it's interesting that as the game was being made obviously the film was being developed and changes were made so the character of sever was originally a man and then through casting um became uh, a woman and in so doing they uh, there was an interview with the producer tim mawson in eurogamer and he said it was a bit of a headache as all of the panel graphics for the weapons had been rendered with a man's hand and forearm <laughs> so new graphics had to be produced which obviously took more time and made it harder to fit the game onto the cartridge these are a woman's hands yeah that's what i was thinking i mean you should have played the game with sever because i wanted to see you have to have a look you have to let me know how feminine this hand is i i did play a couple of stages with sever and it was uh the uh change was negligible at best <laughs> yeah she takes her guns out of her handbag and things yeah. Like, there's a scene um, in the film where Antonio Banderas sees Lucy Lou's arsenal and he goes, where did you get this ordinance? And she, so, she says, some women buy shoes. And I'm like, that doesn't answer the question. I mean, what did, did you get them from the shoe shop? <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like to imagine that Lucy Lou went into what was like a, a male casting session, like in full, like, like jackass style fake makeup and when she got the role she just ripped off all her male flesh and stuff she like ripped her face off and says it is me lucy lou i think in, there's a bit in charlie's angels where cameron diaz and drew barrymore dress up as men there is and lucy lou does not now there's also like a scene or does she have uh, sport a beard at one point well there's a scene i mean because I was vibing off like early 2000 cinema, I watched the trailer for Charlie's Angels again. 
uh, today, and there's a scene in an airplane. When do you remember when someone? Oh yeah, I can't remember who's the guy who's in the airplane who then rips off their face and it's Drew Barrymore. They're dressed up as LL Cool J. That's the one. Yeah, like. I, I'm I'm fairly reluctant to rewatch Charlie's Angels because I absolutely loved it, and, and as a as a younger person, and I do think it's one of his films which seemed like really progressive and and girl power at the time, and then as an adult you realize oh this is entirely for the male gaze. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, watch the space. But I was watching it because, you know, Lucy Liu I didn't think did a a terribly great performance here, and I know both characters have to be like super ice cool in fact they have to be as far away from ballistic as possible the definition of ballistic is to fly into a rage and i don't think either of them do do they no they sort of like mumble slightly angrily (laughs) yeah so i don't think lucy lee was terribly surfaced by this character not least because as i said she doesn't say anything for like the first half hour of the film and uh yeah so i was just trying to see if she showed any sort of human emotion at all in the trailer for charlie's angels and inconclusive (laughs) (laughs) have we have we finished talking about the games at all do we i i think so i think it's just it's interesting to you know whether this is this isn't clearly a a video game movie but Mm. i don't think there has necessarily been something where the game has been so completely diametrically opposed in terms of critical appreciation as the film from which it came from and also has deviated so much from the source material as the film it came from and as you know such a film has spawned two well-regarded video games i mean you know the opposite direction is usually more true like here's a film and here's a bad video game you know rendition Mm of that uh less so i suppose the other way around there are those uh chronicles of riddick games like butcher bay mm. and i think the game came out around about the time of chronicles of riddick and the game i'm, I'm probably getting my dates slightly uh, wrong but i'm pretty sure that there was a lot of um hope that the riddick verse was going to become huge but the games ended up being great and the film less so. Mm. You are right about the terms of quality of the product, video game product and quality of the film, because I was thinking of the Enter the Matrix games, the game versus like uh, the Matrix Reloaded. And I think they're probably both as good as each other. (laughs) So um, I feel like we probably do need to tackle the Matrix at some point, but maybe that's for another episode. I think perhaps uh, Matrix 4. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it would have to be for another episode because we're not going to start a Matrix review (laughs) right here. Sidebar, two hours of the Matrix chat. (laughs) Oh, listeners want to hear about Ballistic X versus Sever. Well, let's let them. Let them eat (laughs) Ballistic X versus We don't have much to go on. Someone's developed a micro-device. The perfect assassin. Injectable lies in wait inside its victim. One touch of a button, you can give a head of state a heart attack. Two deadly agents. ID. A former FBI agent named Jeremiah X. Sworn enemies. Seven. 
are tracking it down. We have acquisition located. Who will find it? I have a situation and you're my only option. This woman single-handedly took out a heavily armed escort detail. I need you to find her. Of course you do. My daughter wanted to tell him why you look so sad. I told her it was because you just got beat up by a girl. And when the rules change... Positive visual. Take it down. They find that their enemy... is the only one they can trust. Let's finish this. No innocent people, you know that. Only killers and victims. She's gonna kill you. you can do no this is i've got a video box here a dvd box i actually own this on dvd i'm get to, i get to read the sermon today <laughs> um this was 50 see the thing is when we started this podcast i would like bulk buy loads of video game movies because we'll get to them eventually but this has resulted in me just having a massive dusty stack. And one day we'll get to Final Fantasy Advent Children, but <laughs> not today. But X versus Sever, I did have in one of those beautiful Warner Brothers plastic clip cases. Oh. Plastic and wood. Wood? <laughs> not wood. <laughs> Sorry, cardboard. I've heard of Steelbook Special Edition, but oh, wow. Presentation Wooden Case Ballistic X versus Sever Edition That'd is be good. maybe it's the twenty. It's the twentieth anniversary of the film next year, so fingers oh, crossed. Yeah. Waiting for like Arrow Video to do like a special the Criterion <laughs> Collection. I mean, it does have a scene index here, and I, I regret to report there's no particularly hilarious chapter titles. There's some women buy shoes. Chapter 10 is X versus Sever. So that's good to know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so you know, nothing really to report there. Mot- Motorcycle Mayhem is chapter 15. So, you know, something to look forward to in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> Ballistic X versus Sever, 50p from CEX. It's the ultimate in infiltration, the maximum in lethalness. Super Operatives X and Sever both want to get their hands on a newly developed micro-robotic assassination device. But each spy finds something blocking the way. Something named X. Or something named Sever. Antonio Banderas from 
Femme Fatale and Spy Kids and Lucy Liu, Charlie's Angels, go ballistic as foes is destined, if they survive their personal war, to become allies and take on the shadowy forces pitting them against each other. Hollywood first-timer Chaos directs... Or... What's this? Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> What's going on? Chester... There's a spelling mistake on this on the back of this box. <laughs> um, so, um, Chaos directs or orchestrates, it's meant to say, a bullet ballet of action. But it actually says Chaos directs or chesterating a bullet <laughs> ballet of action that includes close quarter combat, wall shredding street battles, and a steel and fire rain of boxcars what a few... the hell's going on a few... sounds like a stream of consciousness I, I, I think they were getting a bit bored writing this did james joyce write this <laughs> a furiously entertaining all-action ride like this waits for no one <laughs> that is i don't think i've ever had like chester rating well Chester-ing. you should you should say whether it was badly directed or not, but you can not argue about how well Chesterated it was. It was extremely Chesterating. Uh, chaos. Like you, you Google chaos and you get so many results for K A O S. But not. But it's only when you type in chaos director that we find this guy. What was what his actual name? So he is a Thai filmmaker. His full name is Witch Chaos Yananda. So K-A-O-S, Chaos, is actually part of his surname Mm. and was just like a nickname I think he sort of picked up and then thought to use and then unfortunately he got stuck with it. I mean, it makes you think, is X a shortened name? Well, I didn't know whether X was like meant to be like the letter X. And then you have Sever, but that's not a letter. I mean, that's just just like... Cutting or severe without an E. So if you Google X, um, you get X, a letter of the Latin alphabet, uh, Sumach X, an American musician and yogi, and Jeremiah X, a character in the film Ballistic X vs. Sever. So he's in, I guess he's in good company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. Uh... Before we get stuck into the, the the plot, because the back of the box does not illuminate anything about it. I would say neither does it... the script, but <laughs> anyway. But yeah, before we get sort of bogged down into the, you know, the various plot machinations, because it is, I think, much like Hitman was, it's fairly straightforward, but they just pile on layers of convolution and reveals which just completely muddy everything and make it so hard to pick out who's doing what and why. It's like when you go to Five Guys and your first time you ask for all the options and then you're eating this monstrosity of a burger and you're like, next time I'll just ask for cheese. <laughs> yeah, maybe bacon. <laughs> yeah, if I'm feeling frisky, I'll go crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next, next time you order from Five Guys, I want you to say, well, I'm feeling frisky, so I'm going to go crispy. And they say, what, bacon or onions? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> the original script was been kicking around since the mid-80s and was written by Alan B. McElroy 
with Dwight H. Little to originally direct, who we have mentioned before, as that was the writer and director of Tekken. Mm. Um, Alan B. McElroy would go on to... Uh, he, he They originally wrote uh, Halloween 4, which uh, was directed by Dwight H. Little. He wrote Wrong Turn, Spawn. Uh, more recently, he's been writing episodes of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> okay. And the original title of the film was Legion, and then eventually it was called Gunner, and then finally X versus Sever. And it uh, was question: Was it called Gunner as in the run uh, running guns, or was it Gunner as in, like, I'm gonna do that? <laughs> uh, gunner as in guns. I'm gonna do it eventually. <laughs> I was gonna do it. Um, by the time it eventually uh, got put into production around about 1999. Uh, the script had been completely rewritten and was called X vs. Sever and was rewritten by Peter M. Lenkov, who had done Demolition Man, uh, Universal Soldier 2 and 3, and more recently, uh, in TV world, the reboots of things like MacGyver, Magnum P.I. and Hawaii Five-0. Um, so people who have gone on to maybe better and more successful things. Um, but it was... Uh, Shopped around by uh, its producer, Chris Lee, who produced Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, while he was head of production at Columbia TriStar and then became an independent producer. And this is where uh, Chaos comes into the midst. The name, the director, not not <laughs> the, uh, not the uh, entity? No, what's Chaos? The idea, disorder. That's a big question. <laughs> Discord and chaos. I mean, just yes. side note, for somebody called Chaos, I wouldn't say like the direction of this film is particularly flashy. There's a handful, I think, of quite cool shots, but it really is a handful. It's mm. not like um, the guys who did uh, Crank, and you watch that film, and you're like, what the hell am I looking at? If you told me that a director called Chaos made Crank or Crank 2, I'd believe you. But this is like... I think his name comes up in the credits and it's just like a boring shot of a lady driving a car. Like, oh, come <laughs> on, that car should be like a hot rod or something. Should yeah. Flames up the, the side. The, yeah. Uh, there are definitely some very key shots, some little action moments that I want to talk about, but for the most part, it is fairly sort of drab and it, it, it is sort of fairly drab and gray and gloomy with a couple of moments, which are clearly, Oh, the Matrix was cool. <laughs> Again, talking about when you know, when I started like doing film school and things, like the Matrix came out a few years before, and there's so many wannabe Matrix films, and some of them were great, like Equilibrium. It is great. <laughs> uh, some of them, well, they just were wearing leather trench coats in the video box, like this thing. <laughs> there's a very interesting interview uh from i think only just recorded a year ago uh from the proletarian contrarian podcast and they reviewed x versus sever on their podcast and they were quite fond of it and it ended up with them having an interview with the director himself um and it's a really interesting and quite funny interview um because looking at this film you sort of think oh, this is someone who doesn't know what they're doing, <laughs> squandered their chance at, you know, being a Hollywood hotshot, etc. on this kind of clearly inept, like badly put together, very dull action 
you know, extravaganza and big quotation marks. But um, they interviewed him and they talked about like how he studied film in America um, and he sort of came to America after doing this uh, big um, successful film in Thailand uh, called Far. And he basically kind of had some opportunities and went for meetings. Like he originally pitched to be a director for Blade 2 before Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro stepped in. Uh, his pitch was going to be Blade goes to Asia and has to tackle Yakuza vampires, which I'd I quite like the idea of. Yeah. Um, but his inspiration and reason he sort of picked up on this film was because he wanted to do a sort of like slightly gritty film inspired by sort of 60s, 70s American crime dramas. And in fact, the title of the strip was X versus Sever. And he kind of liked the title because it reminded him of Spy versus Spy. And I think you get that kind of like idea of that from that. But then the producers wanted something a bit snappier. So he came up with the title of Ballistic because he was inspired by the film Bullet. And was Mm -hmm. just thinking, well, I can't call it Bullet, so I'm going to call it Ballistic. But it was never his idea to put both titles together in a very unwieldy, Mm. bodge job fashion. Um, But he was drawn to the material because he liked this sort of, initially, this idea of the kind of, right, these two killers, these two professionals, like, against each other. And And so when he... Force and movable object kind of deal. Yeah. And so his original idea in terms of casting was, well, Jean Reno versus Charion Fett. You have oh god beyond the professional versus the killer um like, as as cast members yeah as x versus oh. sever i'm recording this standing up and i nearly fell over <laughs> oh um, my god early 90 oh it would have been early 90s it'd have been a bit later still though still damn good yeah it would have been good like, um, what, what came out when i was at university fucking bulletproof monk with charlie <laughs> fat i was like oh and like my mate said let's all oh, watch this it's really good it's not <laughs> i think but no. i think that also explains why the studios didn't go for them as the leads i don't think it ever got that far <laughs> i think because john reno and <laughs> the replacement killers chang on fat bloody hell anyway um other sort of potential people involved were Dolph lundgren wesley snipes i think probably in earlier iterations of the strip jet lee at one point and even, I think, the original team-up was going to be Sylvester Stallone versus Vin Diesel. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I said I went to the cinema last night. There was a new Furious 9 trailer where they heavily lead into the idea of you returning to the Odeon cinema as, like, families coming together. And for the first time, I got quite emotional when Vin Diesel started talking about family. Eventually, yes, it landed on Antonio Banderas, and it was actually him who suggested Lucy Liu and having uh, a female counterpart to him as they worked recently on a film together. Um, And yeah, they didn't really sort of have to change anything in terms of the script necessarily, but it does seem like a lot of the issues and in the kind of conversation on the podcast came from the editing and the production the studio notes like the whole nanotechnology robot stuff wasn't in the original version of the script but basically the studio were like you need a ticking clock so stick this Mm. in 
so when he was presented with like the first version of the VFX team saying, uh, here's our first version of the robot. Do you like it? And he was like, yeah, whatever, because he just hated the <laughs> idea so much. He was like, I don't care if it looks shit. I like completely um, forgot. I seriously, yeah, they introduced the ticking clock, the nanobot MacGuffin at the start, but the whole plot is about like this mob boss trying to find their son. And then like a uh, nanobot kind of really just appears like the end as a way for Sever to kill the mob boss. Spoilers for Ballistic X versus Sever. Didn't we not say that already? Okay. Oh, no. The the villain dies at the end, like every <laughs> single action movie. <laughs> um but anyway i i really recommend this this interview because he's very kind of frank and funny and open about his like experiences in hollywood and yeah you know t- sort of since then he's he's back in thailand and more recently he's made a couple of films with mark de from double dragon who obviously we enjoyed in john wick 3 um and uh we will revisit uh chaos's work again in Tekken 2 Kazuya's Revenge this is kind of exciting because what I was saying earlier about his fairly pedestrian kind of cam- you know, camera work and, and directing style I'll be interested to see what the the years since have done to his work and yeah you know we might rag on this film slightly but as we always say we celebrate movies and um, no one goes in to make a bad film usually <laughs> yeah and this this does seem like a, a little bit of a case of it seems like he was like locked out of the edit they fired the original editor the finished product he says that he's never actually seen from start mm. to finish with the sound <laughs> um as a um there's like yeah. a flashback in the middle um which you know you know was originally not planned to be a flashback that it was like a full-length scene which was cut down because they keep coming back to um the narrators of the flashbacks sort of narrating it just to you know to tie it all together it's this meeting of four people at a table and one of them is played by the actress sandrine holt who plays the news weather caster in resident evil apocalypse and the oh. only reason I picked that up was because she her name appears quite high in the credits. She's like in the opening titles, her name is there. Her appearance in the film lasts all of but two seconds. She sat on a chair and doesn't utter a word, but in the credits she's quite high up as Agent Bennett or something. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing here? I mean, I was very excited to see uh Talisa Soto in this yeah. film. Princess Katana from Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 and the film starts with like she's driving a car and with a with a really bad boy I was going to say a really bad boy in there but there's a child called Michael who's kind of also the MacGuffin and he gets I wouldn't say kidnapped but they she's driving she arrives at home and then the mob boss's goons like we want Michael back the mob boss wants his son back and she's like you can't do this and it's in the rain. I just really wanted somebody to say, just use the element which brings life, lady. <laughs> <laughs> which is like one of her memorable lines from Mortal Kombat. If she did, she'd have so much rain to so much use. Rain. There is so much smoke in this film. There is so much steam just pouring out of everywhere for no reason. And so much rain. When the titular Epps is introduced, he is sopping wet. <laughs> He's mm. literally just sat in a bar in a puddle and then he goes outside and there's even more rain just like 
cascading upon him like he's at a water park. Is this what he's talking about editing? Because, yeah, we meet him in the bar completely wet. And then, like, two goons show up and he beats the shit out of them. And apparently these goons work for, like, the head of the FBI or, or, or a member, like, higher up the FBI. And so, one, you're like, why didn't the head of the FBI just show up first and save the whole his goons being hit? And then he, he um, tries to get X into the game again. And he then... basically does the I need the old Blade Runner magic. Yeah. And then X leaves the bar and has his cup. He's just, that's a really stylish shot where there's lots of rain. And then he's back in the bar again. Are we to imply he changed his mind? Maybe he's I... on a pub crawl, but just in the same place. <laughs> of his one pub. <laughs> Jeremiah X? No, sorry. It's you, isn't it? to your head about haircut look we've been instructed to bring you in i'm not the man you want forget this we'll do it the hard way it's not a very healthy attitude neither is yours relax Alex. Yeah, relax Alex. listen to your partner this guy's nothing alive you're lying taking off a cellular sleep you saw her die you saw an explosion i went to a funeral you saw a closed casket you waited seven years to tell me this you think i wouldn't have come to you right away if i'd known why are you she i don't know I need you to do a job for me. Where is my wife? I'm sorry. I need you to do it. Where is she? When the job is done, I'll give you what I got. and you're my only option. I tell you what I know right now and you're gone. I'm gone anyway. Go sit in the corner. You'll only provoke him when he returns. 
there was several moments of, of deep confusion. I mean, I think you mentioned at the start, we, we should really get as much of the sort of convoluted plot out of the way. I think in a nutshell, um, X, he's lamenting the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. And in this flashback we're talking about, I think because like a car explodes in between X and his wife, um, the they both think the other died in the car explosion. Well, so too. <laughs> so like... they don't walk around the side of the explosion and see. They just, I think they assume the other one's in the car. I think two cars blow up, actually. There's, there's quite a lot of explosions in this bit. Yeah, two separate cars blow up. And I think they both assume each other is in each of those one cars. One of the cars. But surely one would, I don't know, look at the other one. That car exploded. And then... Wait, no, this car exploded. Something's up. <laughs> Something's incredibly up. <laughs> um, yeah, like he, I think X's story is that he wants um, to find his wife, but then he kind of finds him, finds her quite easily because the wife turns out to be the missus of this mob boss, a man named Gant. Well, he's not, the... he's not necessarily a mob boss. He is a former head of the yeah. DIA, the Defence Intelligence Agency. But it seems like what he's done, and he explains later on, because he is originally called Agent Clark, and then he says, why? And he says, well, we had to get rid of Agent Clark so there could be a Robert Gant, which is mm-hmm. the name of his new i guess maybe he is a mob boss now i just but... he's introduced like he's in gotham city when we first see him he's like telling and he's been let down by a goon mm. uh, and he's wearing he's wearing like a black bad guy hat for like the first third of the film and he had it in the car he had it whenever he saw him and i sin- i sincerely hoped he'd wear it like in the shower or when <laughs> making love <laughs> or something like that but no, he's he's just trust. There's, I think it's a very tense scene, though, though because he gives the goon uh, his handgun and said, um, "In ancient times, when somebody fails like you, a knight would fall on their sword." And I'm like, oh, I think he's confused, like Arthurian knights with samurai. But anyway, <laughs> um, he wants the goon to kill himself, but then the goon raises his gun to try and shoot Gant, but Gant had another guy ready to go and shoots the no that's not what happened oh okay <laughs> no, he gives... i almost had it he gives him the gun and then yes he's meant to shoot point the gun the goon is pointing the gun to his own head and then the goon decides to shoot gant but then it's like got a, a reverse bullet gun So he pulls the trigger and then the bullet goes back through the gun chamber and hits him in the head. Oh, is that what happens? Right? That's what I thought that happened. I thought a sniper shot him from a distance. See, okay, that's actually probably what did happen. I, I, I think actually maybe you're right. A sniper did shoot him from a distance. But to me, it looked like it was like a magical trick gun. Well, I mean, we could pause and check it, but I can't be asked. This is an automated correction. Rory was correct. It was a trick gun, not a sniper hiding in the bushes. Because see, what happens next is that Ray Park shows up. Ray Park 
Darth Maul himself is in the film, ladies and gentlemen. And, and right away you realise, oh, this is why they dubbed him. <laughs> <laughs> because he's got the weediest British voice I've ever heard. And literally no intonation or anything in his voice. It's a in a film with quite av- well no, there's kind of okay, this is a bad performance. And yes, sometimes we like to blame the directors, but this time it's a very bad performance. There's a bit towards the end where like Ray Park uh, and just just FYI, his character's nickname on record is the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely what he had written on his pencil case. <laughs> um, but he goes, sir, with all due respect, this is an unacceptable level of exposure. And he's just, he's really lame. And I'm assuming he's the guy who had a sniper rifle to kill yeah. this guy in the fake seppuku scene. But I can't remember seeing a sniper rifle. So. I, th- I think you're probably right. And but I think yes. you have the more imaginative take. Well, that's the thing, because I was expecting the gun to go click and then him get shot anyway, because yeah. that's what normally happens. So I was quite surprised when he seemed to pull the trigger and get shot. So I think I just maybe put two and two together and created five. But who knows? I thought I was thinking magical handgun is probably I'm sorry, more exciting. All, all, the, all the ballistic stands listening to this podcast, like you guys are not paying attention to this masterpiece. <laughs> But it's it's just as well that I mean it takes the whole film to get there, but eventually uh Ray Park does do some martial arts and it's just like, oh thank mm. god they didn't just hire him for his acting because <laughs> you know I mean I was just waiting for it. I mean the action I found really kind of boring in this film, but I think it's one of those weird things where they were obviously were very, very keen to have you see Lucy Liu and Antonio Banderas do their own stunts. And I, I on my wonderful DVD, I have a like a, a featurette about it. And Lucy mm-hmm. Liu was saying they spent three months training. Which sounds, <laughs> sounds like, well, from your laughter, I think I could tell that you weren't that impressed by the martial arts then. I just a think, two and a half months dialogue coach, maybe. <laughs> the thing is, so like, it is... Lucy Lou doing the martial arts, but you know how when you what they do when training people for action scenes is that they'll do the sequences by repetition, starting very slow, and they keep going faster and faster and faster and faster. And I just don't think we're quite there yet. So, as well as being filmed rather boringly, I just think the um, just the moves weren't quick enough. It's just so funny when like um. The reason this goon is being executed by Gant is because the goon failed to protect Gant's son, the aforementioned Michael, while Michael's being transported back from uh, Princess Katana to uh, Gant's place. Uh, Lucy Liu goes in and kidnaps Michael. And this is all done on CCTV. And there's a scene when people are watching Lucy Liu's kicking ass. And Mike and um, I think something like an X is saying, "Oh, she's obviously a professional," and it's like I, I could probably fight like that. <laughs> she's like doing a, a, a like a mini hop, like it looks like she's doing like a Zumba class. It's not terribly impressive. Yeah, when when X and Sever finally do strap, it is very silly, and it is clearly <laughs> like they. It does have the give the impression of. They didn't have a fight choreographer, so mm. it was just they probably like decide like they discussed it amongst themselves over a weekend and thought, well, we'll do this. 
and and see if that worked and it does not but it did make me wonder just like how self-aware the humor is or isn't i don't think it it's it's meant to be there but there is a bit where i'm pretty sure x like tries to do a punch and then goes makes an owl face and like shakes his hand like he's hit something really hard um but i think it's just like I, I get the approach to be kind of like practical effects and, you know, not use too much like CG and do everything in camera, etc. But it does mean you get some very weird moments where stunt guys look like they're landing very softly. Mm. And there's a bit where uh, Sever is in a getaway car and then the car flips and it looks like she's inside the car and she's upside down. And it just looks like the car is very gently placed on the ground <laughs> as it like hits the tarmac. In that feature I was talking about, I saw the gimbal, and you know, you are quite right. It's on sort of like a cherry picker, so yeah, it doesn't seem very dramatic. Like there's the, the motorcycle mayhem, as mentioned in the scene selection. You know, you see it's Antonio Banderas driving that motorcycle, but again, quite in the speed limit i think (laughs) it's the only Um, motorcycle chase where they are clearly adhering to traffic regulations yeah i mean around about this time maybe the year before you had mission impossible 2 which i think everyone can agree is probably the worst mission impossible film but the motorcycle stuff is fantastic so i'm just saying you know and Mm. like the the action sequence that immediately precedes that is when etch has been uh taken on this prison bus and sever appears and starts shooting rockets at it and then the bus like etch gets on top of the bus after picking up of course you would keep a grenade launcher on a prison bus escorting one prisoner um he gets on top of this bus which is like flipped and is now sliding across the highway and then it just kind of like explodes and it splits in half like the Titanic sinking. It just like the front of the truck just of the bus just like comes off and then that goes in one direction and then it just kind of like st- snaps and explodes. It just it's like someone's turned off the physics mode mm. in this game and it's just like, oh, you know, things will be happening faster, slower up down doesn't really matter at one point in the early sequence there's clearly a bit of reverse footage used when sever's taking out these guards protecting the kid because um the way this character moves when he stands up it's clearly like he was meant to be standing down but they flipped the footage and also there's some smoke going in as opposed to billowing (laughs) out in the background (laughs) oh bless there's the big uh, shootout at the food court mm. um, where and somebody shouts, she's got a gun, which <laughs> I really enjoyed. But it's it's weird because like, so they're trying to track down Sever, both the DIA. What does, what does DIA stand for again? Defense Intelligence Agency. And that's Chinese, is it? No, it's, it's a and real thing. This whole thing. thing about having one child, which like Sever is all about. Well, no, the thing with that is that apparently the DIA secretly adopted Chinese orphans and trained them as assassins, and that's who Sever is. Okay. Of course. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, working in a Boston legal firm with Ali McBeal. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like, even though she's very a secretive operative, everyone has managed to track her down very easily. Yeah, there's there's no, like, we need to find her. Oh, there she is. (laughs) 
she's out getting a subway at a, I mean, I at guess the local gallery. Like she's, you, if you're a secret agent, don't look as stylish as fuck you know, <laughs> in a wicked cool red coat and things. And she could she look any more like an assassin? Yeah, but the shootout that follows is like if you did the Matrix breaking in pillar sequence but in the least interesting way possible there's just she she just basically moved there's she hides behind a pillar and the sniper fire like hits the pillar and it you know creates all the bullet holes in it and then there's a slow-mo sequence of her moving from one pillar to the next but she kind of just like strafes and just keeps shooting and nothing else happens there's a Mm. bit of broken glass but it's just like, why make this slow-mo when it's nothing interesting is happening in the slightest? There's also, I found the soundtrack for this sequence, in general, really, but in especially the sequence, seemed just a little bit inappropriate. It just has, like, the soundtrack of a DVD menu, <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing. In fact, I recognise the track, and I'm 99% sure it did come from a Matrix DVD menu. Do you remember when the Matrix released, like, the Matrix 2.0 or something, or some sort of bonus feature dvd to tide you over until the matrix reloaded came out i i got that obviously and it's it definitely reminded me of that menu well the music was by don davis composer of the matrix oh right that makes <laughs> wow but his offcuts. so the director chaos found out he was no longer involved with the movie from the original composer that was meant to be doing the score and then studio replaced it with a don davis score so like the whole idea was like i want to make this gritty drama about you know people who have lost family members and united together and that kind of thing but triple x came out so they wanted to make it like that instead god this is a very vin diesel heavy episode <laughs> has he been and he's not even oh. in the movie no yeah i was gonna say has he been in a video game movie but i mean does reddit count well, he's at uh, Ark Survival Evolved. He's in the new game and a, I think an animated series of it coming next year, perhaps. We'll get onto Vin. We'll 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 have a Diesel episode yeah. at some you point. You better watch out, Vin Diesel. We're coming <laughs> for you. <laughs> as as kind of underwhelming as most of the action is in a very actiony movie, there are a few moments where it gets it right Mm. i think and i think i'm just going to pit them out but during this big shootout on the streets of vancouver incidentally this is a film made in vancouver and set in vancouver which is very rare um but there is one shot where the camera follows a single mountie a single goon (laughs) uh falling off a building and it's a sort of view as if we are falling down with him Mm. straight from the top and landing onto a car which is quite impressive but then immediately undercut by a tire popping out and slapsticky lee hitting someone in the face (laughs) which is like unnecessary i don't know you had your cool shot i think i'll still like perked up because yes that's a seriously impressive stunt and though it does suffer a bit from, as you say, people, it was definitely on the slow descent. But, you know, you do sit up and go, like, oh, hang on. That's, I've not seen that before. That's actually yeah. kind of scary. 
And I think the culmination of the motorcycle chase when you have two cars flipping and twisting through the air at the same time as Antonio Banderas, like, leaping off his motorcycle. He doesn't leap. He he full, he full bore crashes into something and goes well, flying yeah. and still doesn't break his legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, the car's flipping was was very impressive. And I think I think towards the end you get... I mean, there's a lot of rocket launchers in this film, a lot of grenade launchers, mm. trip-wise, the lot. But you do get some very big explosions. Like five solid minutes of explosions at the end. It does It does beg belief because they set all the explosions off before the guards and the soldiers who are infiltrating Sever's lair get anywhere close to them. No, yeah, I know. It's like, it's like going to Guy Fawkes night. I just... <laughs> After like the, as I say, fourth or fifth minute, all the guys are still like in the line, in the distance, going ooh, <laughs> ah, ooh. <laughs> Although at one point, Antonio Banderas, he's running between these two parked trains. I think the, I don't know where her lair is. It's very confusing. It's it's like a quarry or a or a train yard, because like her lair has it's like a big pit cavern. With metal gangways, but also there's like boiling water and steam. I like to think it's a sewage works and it stinks <laughs> to high heaven. I think we're first introduced to um, Sever's lair and she has her sort of little bat cave set up and she's on a steel grate and there's all this steam coming up. But we eventually find out in a big fight with uh, Ray Park, with the Prince of Darkness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that her computer setup is like hovering above this bubbling pit of hot water but i like to think it is just sewage <laughs> hot piping sewage she looks like hot shit and she smells like it too <laughs> um it's not on her profile no a side note i really enjoyed uh we'll get back to the big action sequence because um i really enjoyed she's keeping michael uh in a cage <laughs> in her lair there's a bit when she, like her first line of the film, actually, when she's finally ca- caught up by uh, X, when X finally tracks her down, they're in the car park, and um, Lucy Lou's first line at minute 28 was, you kill me, you kill Gant's son. And I just like to imagine that Gant's son is extremely unworldly, and if he's left for too long, <laughs> he's going to stick his finger in an electrical socket or something. Just walk into traffic. He looks like that kind of child. But when um, we have a scene later where Sever brings him up a meal, and I pause to see what Sever gives Michael, this TV tray has like a very solid lump of mac and cheese, two types of chocolate cake, red jello and a twinkie and i'm like whoa (laughs) mainly desserts it's mainly dessert what do kids like i mean she's not far wrong actually but But, like like... you give that child that amount of sugar he's just gonna be bouncing up and down around in his cage i i spent a bit of time doing like uh teacher training or classroom experience and like kids pack lunches is so healthy so healthy and I think if Lucy Lou was to feed her child that junk, she'd get serious side eye at the parent <laughs> parent meetings. We have her online, sir. Put her through. Where's my son, Sever? Maybe the same place my son is. Don't blame me. You broke profile. 
that what you call having a child? They weren't supposed to be there. Sever? Sever? How's Michael? He's a good boy, but he misses his mother. I want him back. You mean you want what he's carrying? He could die if we don't get it out in time. I didn't put it in him, you did. Tell that to your wife. What do you want? Your life for Michael's. It didn't have to come to this ever. Well, now it has. Uh, we, we might as well just talk about the kid and the, the reason why everyone's after him is because it transpires that he's just got off a flight from Europe and coincidentally the Prince of Darkness was in Berlin and coincidentally... What's his name? What's your name again, sir? Prince of Darkness. <laughs> um... <laughs> And coincidentally, also, this prototype killbot technology called Softkill was stolen uh, from a lab at that time. And the idea is that it's this little nanobot, and if it gets in your bloodstream, someone can push a button and give you a heart attack. So the kid has this implanted in him, so that's why we mentioned the ticking clock, because if they don't get it out of him in time, the kid will die. And Sever has stolen him from Gant, a.k.a. Clark, who faked his death because she was doing a mission for Gant while she was working at the DIA and it somehow, we don't know quite how, we see some footage of a kind of drone or bomb strike on a house and we assume that her family died in the process or is it that the DIA killed her family in order to when make her an orphan so they could train her, but she has a picture of her with a small child. So I guess we are to believe that they killed her child. It's never quite explained. I mean, she is mourning the loss of her child. And so she sees a kindred spirit in X who believes his wife is dead. But did he know that he had a child yet? Because... I guess it's been seven years and that well, <laughs> child is eight, so maybe she was pregnant at the time. So, like, okay, there's so many different threads here, and I don't know how interesting it is to listen to us try and work <laughs> it out. I mean, one note, Gant, I've got a note here saying Gant says to uh, Sever her family was not supposed to be there, and then we crash zoom into her eyes and we enter like a CGI graphic showing a house being destroyed <laughs> as if it was drone footage. Um, I suddenly realised that I, so so Gant had to ch- yes what was the name of Gant's name originally Clark he fakes his own death and then I realised I mentioned the black hat was his entire disguise the black hat I guess he just like lives in a private mansion and yeah he's clearly some criminal mob boss because he's dealing in I think he mentioned something about like power and money or something so he's doing some illegal arms trade of which stealing this nanobot technology and I guess selling it to some highest bidder 
is part of his plan, but it's never really kind of fleshed out. You just know he's a tough guy because he's got a nice looking place and lots of people in suits standing around looking in every different direction uh, for potential snipers, I guess. Um, Oh, sorry, when she walks into the room. Yeah. I freeze framed that. That was flipping hilarious. It's like... (laughs) That room is very secure, but the room next to it, completely deserted. It looks like they're playing musical statues. They're all just, like, <laughs> fixed. But, yeah, so Sever has information about the, the FBI boss who enlists Et back into the game knows that his wife is still alive. And he's like, oh, and you have to do this thing for me, and then I'll tell you where she is. And then as the FBI boss is dying because he's been shot supposedly by Sever, but it, I think it turns out it's not. But it's weird because the FBI boss is like really chummy with the Prince of Darkness, like they know each other. They're having like a full-on like conversation. Um, just, you know, oh, how's things? Yeah, fine. What are you doing here? Oh, I heard you were in Berlin. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, he just wants to talk to uh, the Prince of Darkness's <laughs> mate, who is Curtis from 24. Yeah, I was like, I, I, I know that guy. I know that guy. What's he from? And like, he's wearing like exactly what he wears in Twenty Four as well. So I think I got a feedback loop. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh well, he looks as <laughs> he looks exactly like Curtis from Twenty Four, but you know. But um, yeah, as the FBI boss is like dying, he says like, oh, I don't know, but Seven knows, so go chase her. Um, and then like. Sever like spares Etz's life after the motorcycle chase and gives him the address to find his wife, but Etz tracks her down to an aquarium instead. This this kind of almost gave me a nosebleed. This bit, <laughs> because I mean, unless like, he we've... went to the mansion and then saw her leave and then followed her to the aquarium because she's like fed up and decides to take a trip to go and see a beluga whale. This is the thing. Um, the, on the flip side, you're t- you're telling the story from Etz's perspective, but his wife is like really upset because her son is kidnapped so she decides to go to the aquarium and <laughs> she fondles like is it a beluga whale i think it's a beluga no, whale it's a porpoise i remember i wrote a note she's lost her porpoise so she's gone to the aquarium utterly bizarre and then they sit down together together and what's the name of his wife is it uh vin it's is is, is literally that... vin like diesel God, Vin Diesel again. Imagine if his wife was Vin Diesel. <laughs> I would have loved it. But yes, I think here, silhouetted by the the whale, you know how you see like people play you're doing card tricks to animals. It's that sort of a whale where it would like clap at you and things. You um, know, that sort of a whale. That... <laughs> Into magic. <laughs> yes, the, 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 yes, that sort of whale. But yes, with that in the background, silhouetted, they lay down what happened and you're talking about kids and things so vin reveals that michael is actually x's son and i does does gantz believe that michael is really his son because like i guess i mean i'm just, I'm just trying to work out like how pregnant she was and then you know, she, the the moment, like almost immediately, the first time she meets Gant, like she believes her husband is dead, and I guess then Gant would have had to have had I think sex we had with to, her. I think we had to assume that they knew Gant well. That like 
he was a fellow agent in their kind of like flashback they talk about how she doesn't want him to do this case or this job because it's too dangerous etc um but it seems to suggest that they're having a meal together um because that's that's... a restaurant yeah (laughs) i just like this seems to suggest (laughs) the decor and they have plates of food in front of them the wait staff would suggest the the mise-en-scene suggests restaurant the way gant slash clark appears and is like seemingly quite chummy and and knows them etc would would suggest that they know each other in that respect and it's it's you know when they part ways and both their cars explode like gant slash clark and vin slash mrs x is are with each other um so it's again let's let's i think we're just gonna have to like accept the fact that this film doesn't tell you what you need to know. We've got to assume that Gant doesn't know how babies are made. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite possible that X froze some of his sperm before he was doing this dangerous mission. Yes. <laughs> but we did, we did not see that scene of Antonio Banderas jacking it. <laughs> <laughs> Left him in the ice cube tray. <laughs> and it's like, oh, what's that in your drink? Oops. <laughs> not my unborn children. Yeah, anyway, I hope... What do you call this cocktail? <laughs> Unborn son. Oh God! That's extreme. No, no. Usually they're clever names, Rory. That was. Just... I mean, I mean, sets on the beach. <laughs> um. So I hope that makes sense. So if you have not seen games, if you've not seen X versus Sever. Um, but I, I think at this point, now that they're reunited, Sever pulls up in a car. Vin says, is that the bitch you stole our son? And Seva retorts, by the way, I'm the bitch protecting him. Hardy, hardy, hard. And then there's some like pretty bad blue screen rear projection <laughs> car as they're driving to her lair. Yeah, the screen is a golden sunset in the background and like just strip lighting <laughs> in the inside of the car. But like this brings me on to maybe the sort of like crucial point of the title X versus Sever. I don't think I've seen a film where the protagonist and the supposed antagonist like spend so little screen time on opposing sides as this, and yet this film pitches them against each other with X versus Sever as if they're hardened rivals who've spent their lives trying to track each other down, and yet they spend maybe about five minutes of the film actually versus each other when x is briefed and is told who sever is i was expecting to be like sever oh she's the one responsible for my wife's death or you know i've been meaning i've been tracking trying to track her down for seven years it's just like oh sever okay sure whatever (laughs) they just like they spend so little time actually at each other's throats that it might as well just be called like x Plus seven? Well, I've just think there's, there's never been a film called Teamwork, has there? <laughs> <laughs> but they're like the thing is that they're set up to be like you know against each other. I mean, yeah, they're like united and against a common cause, but they don't know that at the mm. start. But this film just like drops that. They have a, a single fist fight, a bit of a foot chase, and yeah, it's sort of a motorcycle chase. But like she sort of like you know released him from the prison bus at the same time so like i'd say maybe like a quarter of the film they're actually like 
in pursuit. It's not this kind of like big cat and mouse game. It's two mice. I think even when like X and Sever aren't aware of each other, they're still after the same goal. They're still kind of on the side of the angels. There is a line though, like I think, is Sever a killer? And X is like, no, she's a mother. But she has killed a lot of people. <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, unless she has like a hundred babies, I, th- I think the balance of life is still in favour of the dead people. <laughs> I think you know what I mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, speaking of like a kid, there is one of um, X's colleagues is this tech guy called Harry. Um, yeah. And after their uh, first encounter with Sever, there's like a, quite a cute little moment actually where um, they're at his place and like Harry's daughter is just like staring at X like for a very long time and he pulls out a cigarette and she just like shakes her head at him and he puts it away. Offers him a cigar. <laughs> she whispers to the daddy and he says, oh, my daughter wanted to know why you look so sad and I told her because you got just beaten by a girl. <laughs> and that was like a nice little, just a little moment, a little bit of character in a in a pretty characterless film yeah i mean as soon as harry like harry shows off his a photo of his family really early in the film and like i thought that you've just signed your death warrant you idiot so i was incredibly surprised that he survived well because they just don't put him in the film very much no i think he only shows up in that scene you mentioned and then right at the end to be like who's been blowing up all these trains at the sewage works (laughs) (laughs) but this is the like in the big finale with all the big explosions the bit when Antonio Banderas is running between two trains and he gets a face full of embers Yeah. at one point. And it's just like, it quickly cuts just before his character is then crushed by a bunch of pipes, but lives. Um, but it's just like, ooh, that was clearly <laughs> yeah. bad timing. And I was like, uh, Antonio Banderas kind of like lost an eye or part of his face making ballistic X versus Sever. Not even the Mask of Zorro, not even assassins not even spy kids 3d imagine if someone was crushed by virtual reality pipes and spy kids 3d i mean i i decided to watch that feature i mentioned just to see if they mentioned almost burning antonio banderas's face off which i would argue is like his first or second best feature i don't know it's either his face or his voice i i mean they're both pretty high up the list hmm. <laughs> and yeah so anyway he he survived he lived is the happy ending to that <laughs> bit of the film. But, you know, it, it ends in, in that in the way that so many of these kind of action films end when, like, our main characters have proven themselves to be master assassins, but still, like, the kind of overweight mob boss thinks he's got just any sort of chance in a fight. I mean, she's already um, boiled uh, the Prince of Darkness alive <laughs> in, 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 like, a big... <laughs> See, despite the fact that we think that's a silly name, that's actually what we refer to him as. The I just entire can't remember film. his actual name. They do say AJ Ross. Well, I mean, just the, the way they say it, though, he's called AJ Ross, but he goes by the name Prince of Darkness. I'm like, I've already <laughs> forgotten what he's called. <laughs> he's now called the Prince of Darkness. Um, so he's dead. Everyone's dead, but Gant is like. He gets shot in the arm 
by this gun and he goes is this is that the best you can do which i think is pretty fucking ballsy because she's still pointing a gun at him and she says no this is and activates the little soft kill which is inside him now it took me a full two hours after watching the film to work out how the nanobot got inside him (laughs) he sat on he sat on it (laughs) because earlier on in the film She's looking at scans of a child's arm, and this is where the soft kill has been stored in in Michael. And she also pulls out a she makes a big ballistic bullet um, and sticks it in like a super gun. And then at the end, like Gant scans the child's arm and is like, "Well, where is it?" And then like Sever kind of like looks, ha 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 ha, still got it. But then, like, it doesn't dawn on him that he gets shot by a gun containing the soft kill. It, like, shoots him in the hand and he drops his gun. And I was like, oh, it shot the gun out of his hand. And then he kind of just goes like, "Mm." but he doesn't realize there's, like, a bullet inside him. I mean, like, I know it's called, like, a nano thingy, maybe. But I don't know how big it is. Maybe it isn't even nanotechnology. If it's in your bloodstream, it has to be pretty nano. But how did she pull it out of the child without, like, I, th- I a think, full, like, operating theatre? Yeah, I will help you out. Now, I do think there is a scene when she manages to extract it using, like, a needle or something. I can't remember. I might be imagining it, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it goes quite quickly. She sucks it out of him with but a rega- needle. <laughs> but re- regardless, I just couldn't. I'd like. Well, how did it get in him? And then it was like only two hours later while I was doing the dishes after dinner. I was a bit <laughs> like, oh, she shot him. And that was the thing that went into him. It wasn't just a bullet. Oh, he joined in. Yes, exactly. I like joined the dots then. But if just, geez, I mean, like, I, I think, yes, this is partially on me. I think it's also partially on the film that the way it's kind of edited and constructed, you just don't know what information you're meant to like keep with you and what information you're meant to discard. Because... There's so many like little like insignificant details which are given a lot of weight. And then there's like really important plot points which are just like brushed aside very quickly. Yeah, I think as you said earlier, the nanobot stuff, if it was completely extracted from the film, it probably would have been a stronger film. I'm not asking for a hard edit where they take everything out because otherwise Lisa Lee shoots him in the arm. He says, is that all you got? And then he like has, Just a, has a heart attack, attack and dies. <laughs> and suddenly, the evilness in his heart caught up with his body. I just think more films should end with like like a coincidental heart attack because the main baddie has just gone up that flight of stairs too quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I was wondering why have a weapon where you shoot. Uh, soft kill into someone why not why not just shoot someone <laughs> but yeah. then i suppose it's not designed to be shot into people necessarily and it is sort of like to provide a bit of i mean you could i think they say at the start of the film if some if like a, a world head of state has a soft kill inside them then you kind of can get them to do whatever you want well i think it's just like by using it against gant it means it hasn't fallen into the, quote, wrong hands. 
they've used this prototype up. Like, the world is safe again. I mean, I feel like I just have problems with films in general sometimes because, <laughs> <laughs> because just in general, because, you know, like, they'll just make another one, maybe? Was it a prototype? Who, who the fuck cares? <laughs> Ballistic 2, back to Berlin. Ballistic soft kill would be, it sounds like kind of an ice cream truck or something. <laughs> um I think you're confusing the message on the back of an ice cream truck saying danger, slow, and, you know, be aware of children and stuff. I think the last bit of the film, the last line is like Sever saying, I mean, the dialogue was so stilted and the performances are so stilted. Sever goes, take care of your family. I will. And then she disappears. And... But she leaves. Yeah. An origami train... Yeah. A little bit like Blade Runner again. Uh, but she leaves an origami train behind and that final shot of them is on top of a big train for some reason. <laughs> I didn't know if that was a coincidence. But yeah, she's been making these origami trains and as in tradition or whatever to get your wish. And apparently there was all this backstory and scenes cut where she's been making these origami trains because of her dead child, etc. Because she watched Hard Boiled at one time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back to Cherry on Fat. All roads lead back to Cherry on Fat. Yeah, or Vin Diesel. I mean, just we're kind of at the end here, but actually we've talked about the individual performances, but do you think Antonio Banderas has any chemistry with Sever? And, you know, I'm not talking about sexual chemistry at all. I'm just talking about, you know, he recommended her. I just sort of... They seem just completely, like, separate entities. They don't really ever act like they need each other yeah despite the fact that it lays on thick you know where they're coming from and the whole reason they're doing any of this stuff is because of their backstory but you just don't get that through the performances at all i i I mean antonio banderas is looks like a world weary sack of shit i mean in this in this film in general i was gonna say no i mean you got really high standards rory (laughs) (laughs) no and so in a way like his sort of disheveled appearance and hair matches the character but i don't think it goes anywhere beyond that you know sort of like surface detail i liked the fact that he used a shotgun a lot it's been interesting does that speak to his character? I don't think so, but it's a it's a look. <laughs> um, and yeah, Lucy Liu just doesn't really do anything, but she can't really do anything because she doesn't have anything to do apart from just like do plodding action sequence after another. I think also just like this is a film which it proves that you do need to fill your cast with good people from top to bottom. There's like a lot of like shoddy background extra work and like spit part player work. And, you know, they may be good actors in other stuff, but here they're just like pretty lackluster. I mean, even like, uh, like Gant the villain, Greg Henry, who mm. appears a lot in James Gunn movies. And, you know, in, in that respect, he's usually allowed to let rip a bit better with the, with the material. And, you know, we like a good video game movie villain. And I know this isn't like a video game movie, necessarily but apart from his hat he is so like unremarkable he is like you know the sort of like level of villain where 
they pick one of the few Western actors in a Hong Kong action film. And it's just like, they're not a good actor, but they're the only people who, you know, can maybe throw a punch and we need someone who looks European or something. Um, It's that kind of like level of performance. How much time do we have? Based on our tests, we have 28 hours left. My son dies. Do whatever it takes, Ross. Get me, Michael. You know who we're up against. You know what she wants. Well, I can't give it to her now, can I? It's 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 low scores across the board. Despite this, though, I still think it doesn't deserve the vitriol. Um, I would definitely say it's it's. It's absolutely an inept film. It's not exactly a film I'd recommend, but I think it's saved by the fact that it is like 87 minutes long or thereabouts. And I think I'm definitely glad to have seen it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's offensively bad or anything like that. No. The point to make, as, as stated, is that the reason why it is that at the bottom of the Rotten Tomatoes is by virtue of it having the most negative reviews because... I think there are plenty of films out there which are far, far worse, but just haven't had as much eyes upon it. I mean, I think also when you find out this film costs $70 million to make. What? <laughs> $70 million. Not 17 but 70 I think, I, I don't know how, I think it might have been like something tied up with production costs because originally it was set to film in bangkok and then it was set to film in hawaii and then eventually it made its way to vancouver i wonder whether all these false starts and development hell and then re-editing because that money is not on the screen i mean there's some big explosions but by golly you're not talking 70 million dollars worth of explosions do, do i really you know if it like overran or anything like that because sometimes so. you hear about films like men in black which are kind of classics, but they're still in the red because they overfilmed. I I don't know about that. Um, I just uh, I do wonder where that money went because it's definitely not on screen. To rent the aquarium, they had to pay <laughs> like for all the fish food that day, all the lost <laughs> business, buy everything from the gift shop. <laughs> so at one yeah. point, you see X wearing a, a hat shaped like a shark writing things down on an oversized pencil with a rubber which doesn't quite erase what he's written um we could keep going on this on this bit <laughs> but um, now it's been exhausted already no i mean to be honest like i'll just say though it did make me laugh out loud a lot especially when they just suddenly rock up in an aquarium and she's like caressing the would you call it a window into the aquarium i just there were bits and the fact that the guy's called prince of darkness the, some of the bad acting so the has a lot of it's just a bit of a curio and so yeah if you if you know what you're going in for i, I didn't feel like i had wasted my time i think it's representative of a very specific slice of time in action cinema in the early noughts and it's by no means like the best example of that but i think it is maybe one of the kind of most obviously and bland mm-hmm. examples of a particular kind of 
post matrix pre Jason Bourne kind of like feel and we're talking like a window of like two or three years you know it's like very slim it's it's not the worst film ever and <laughs> we've we've covered this is, worst what we lo- films. this is what i love about doing this podcast because like if it's still if it's not the worst film ever it's still a recommendation <laughs> on the podcast i wouldn't go so far necessarily as a recommendation but i think if you're if you're in any way intrigued by the attention by the infamy of this film i think it is it's it's still worth watching to satisfy that curiosity yeah and you may be a little bit surprised at like how good some moments are as i mentioned some of those like little action beats in between you know the less good stuff um and you might be like impressed just how not so awful it it is like it's 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 a blotch on everyone's cv involved don't get me wrong but i think that's a lot to do with the attention that has surrounded it. I think it's one of those things, like say the snowman, the Michael Fassbender film. Excuse me, not the musical. <laughs> no, not that one. But the Michael Fassbender film, where like the notoriety because of the stars attached to it, because of what it should have been, and all this kind of stuff that goes with it, and also like the marketing that surrounded it. I still see snowman memes to this day, but like a lesser film would you know maybe have not got as much attention and will not like live longer in the minds of people like there are so many more blander boring and and so many more worse films which get forgotten about it so the fact that people are still referencing ballistic x versus sever you know after all this time suggests that something worked it's kind of like the go compare adverts or something where it's, it's like, you know, people are like, Oh, this terrible advert with this opera singer singing, go compare, but it, it's stuck in everyone's mind or we buy any car.com. Great. Okay. So this is the go compare man of cinema. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end it. I suppose. Calm down, dear. It's just a commercial. <laughs> Says X to sever. Bang! And the dirt is gone. Oh shit! Okay, stop right there. If if people want to get more, I guess classic British TV advertising slogans, where can people keep in touch with games and film? You can find more information about the podcast and video game movies and video game adjacent movies on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com/podcast. We're on social media. We're at Twitter. Facebook and Instagram at Games on Film Pod. So please do follow us there where you'll find more information about the podcast and also keep abreast of video game movie news. We're also individually on Twitter at Rory Steele for me. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can also email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. On our website, you can also find links of ways to support us and the podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, Apple Podcasts, so please do like, rate, review, share and subscribe. And the music for this podcast was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing Chaos's next video game movie, Tekken 2, at some point. But until next time, uh, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye.
sweating. It's been raining. Be smart. Walk away.